Have you ever wondered how you could benefit by thinking more like a lawyer? That's what we'll talk about today. I was always half lawyer. I always noticed the loopholes. Rachel Hartman, Serafina. Today we're going to talk about the book, How to Think Like a Lawyer and Why, A Common Sense Guide to Everyday Dilemmas by Kim Wheel. She's a law expert and a professor of law. And I thought that this book would be interesting because, first of all, you know I'm obsessed with learning about how other people around the world and other occupations think about things. I think we can get valuable lessons by the lessons of people around us. When I learned about project managers and how they have all these tactics on how to get projects organized and done, I was obsessed with project managers. I thought, it's amazing that we have all this knowledge on getting things done in our lives, and yet, have you ever heard of how project management worked? So meeting project managers and being friends with project managers and then working closely with project managers made me really admire their work. So now I've turned it on to other occupations, and we'll do more job-related podcasts in the future. A lot of negative things when it comes to lawyers. In fact, it was incredibly hard to find a nice quote about lawyers, because so many people have such a negative view about what lawyers do. But it's the way that they think that really brings out everything. They have a very analytical mind. They're very good at finding that nuanced detail. We've seen it all before in those lawyer TV shows where suddenly the lawyer brings out this one thing from 1899 that says that this law has to be followed in this way and gets their person off the hook or figures out how to get a criminal prosecuted because of a slight error that criminal made in their alibi. So I think there's some value in learning how to think more about a lawyer. She said this book, it won't turn you into a lawyer, but she thinks that there are some valuable lessons into it. And she's going to talk about what they do and how they look at the world in order to make that happen. One of the things that caught me about this book right away was how she explained each of her points and gave you an example in a legal setting and then gave an example in a personal setting, maybe with deciding a job or deciding what to do with your family. That bringing it home to real life incidents made the book really valuable in my opinion. And her discussion about how lawyers think And the processes they go through to think was really fascinating and showed why thinking like a lawyer could help us too. They have to make a ton of decisions, discernments, judgment on things. And so do we, just in a different way. So that valuable skill of logical thinking can help us every day. She says that what she's trying to do is help us learn how to get buy-in, how to know what the other person is going to say and how to get through these gray situations that have a lot of really fine details that which makes it hard to make a decision. How can you use that lawyer thinking in order to come to a solid, good decision? She says a lot of times when people go into law school, they think that they're going to learn a bunch of rules, a bunch of black and white things. They're going to learn how to take their opinions and apply them into law. And what they find out if they go to a good law school is there are very few places where it's black and white. They also learn 
that the rules are a lot more gray than you think they are. And they find out, too, that their opinion doesn't matter much at all. She says unless they go to the highest court of the land, their opinions don't matter. The law matters. In in our cases, when we bring it to our real-life situations, but the facts stay the same. We're still going to have to decide between two jobs. We're going to have to decide between pay versus more time at home versus more freedom during the day. And so even though our opinions matter a lot more, in those situations, the bare facts are still the bare facts. And we have to muddle through the grayness. And that's what she hopes this book helps us with. So instead, this lawyer framework that she's going to teach us and we'll talk about in part two of the podcast next week will help us come up with good, solid decisions and how we can act on those details in a more productive way. She said that we're all decision makers and we're all trying to base our decisions on information that we have and also then aligning our decision making with our beliefs, our knowledge, looking for new experiences and new beliefs. And it's very good in a way of making us more productive. If we go someplace and we think that something may be risky, we evaluate it based on, well, what would happen if this risky thing happened? But also, how likely is it that it's going to happen? She says that corporations pay lawyers and their workforce all sorts of money to make decisions, make good investments in the company. And when we think about the lawyers, we're thinking about them suing, but they're also very good at decision making and helping out the organization stay within the law, but also come up with good ideas. She said that skilled lawyers will look for nuances, little nooks and crannies of information, little places where something may be found, past cases, the law itself, other types of references that are there. They're digging deep so that they can understand why a certain situation comes about. They're not supposed to jump to conclusions, she says, and they're not supposed to go into this with a idea of how this should work out ahead of time. And that can be somewhat of a problem. We always think about the lawyer who's getting their person off of a crime at any cost. But that wasn't necessarily how the law system was seen. They were just supposed to be an educated advocate for people or for businesses so that they got a fair representation when it came to the courts, dealing with the government, or dealing with other businesses. And so being able to research and think and look at some very detailed ways about how they can help whoever it is they're supporting, makes them really good at critical decisions, very key points, and that also makes them good at trying to determine what makes for a happy life, how to make little decisions, big decisions. And so she thinks that this legal mindset can really help us do better throughout our entire lives. She said that this started out in the way that lawyers think from a guy named Daniel Bernoulli, and he was a mathematician. And what he did is he started risk management. He started looking at things and trying to come up with a way that we can hedge our bets, she says, where we can make a decision that's going to go ahead and have potentially the best outcome based on past experiences, what 
knowledgeable people in this particular area think about things. She said that lawyers are also very good at doing research, getting other experts to help them come in and help them understand a situation better. And then later, a psychologist named Kurt Lewin decided that people don't necessarily make decisions based on that risk framework or even by knowledge. A lot of times, other people convince them through just their presence there of doing other things. And there have been a number of psychological experiments. I was in one of them where I was supposed to be a person taking a test like everyone else in the room was taking a test, except I was a little bit vocal about my opinion on what answers were correct. The test was to see if I would sway people to this other opinion, just based on the fact that I was either just another student or I was a visiting grad student who has a lot of experience in this area. And it turns out that someone else's experience, when they're considered to be an expert in the area, will influence everyone else in the room. And so there's a lot that goes into just our own decision making, whether we're trying to come up with the best evidence, but also is groupthink helping us override what we would normally come up with a decision, even if it's a moral decision, and doing something else beyond what that person knows. So then she realized that there's all sorts of skills involved in this, right? There's gut decisions, there's risk management, then there's even other people's influence and all sorts of things go into this complicated decision-making process that we have as humans. And so as lawyers, they try to determine what all goes into the mix. How can they do the best job of convincing people, of convincing the people in a jury or convincing people in a business office to sign a contract or that this is the best way to go. And that's where she comes in. She says heuristics are mental shortcuts people use in order to make decisions with little information. We also use something that's called heuristics. And we've talked about heuristics before in other podcasts, but it's a way that we can take data and boil it down into our experiences. Sometimes it's wrong. For example, if you think that plane travel is more dangerous than car travel, it's because you hear about every plane crash, but you don't hear about every car crash. And so your heuristics about plane travel, your access to information may be faulty based on the fact that you gain information in a faulty way. But overall, it's one of the best ways we make decisions. She gives an example of heuristics. She said that there are some called like price heuristics that we assume something that's more expensive probably is better or maybe something that is highly researched is better. So if we know that a lot of research went into a particular topic, we may say, oh, that's obviously the best choice. Maybe the person doing the research wasn't very good at it. And so it's not necessarily true. But most times, it's likely true that highly researched items are better. It's also mostly true that higher expensive things are better, but not always. So they can be accurate, but not in every case. In fact, there was a big study that came out where they had people test wine and told them that the bottle of wine was either very expensive or very cheap wine. And of course, just like you would expect, People's opinion about the quality of the wine changed based on what they thought the price of the wine was. And the reason we do it, there's nothing bad about why we do it. We do it because sometimes we have to come up with fast decisions. 
We have to think about something that needs a quick answer and a quick turnaround. And if we had all the time in the world, if we could research every topic, you know, maybe you're buying a car, you're going to do a lot of research. But if you're just going to buy a bottle of wine, you don't have time to research that necessarily. You might just want to make a quick purchase. So when we don't have the time, we don't have the knowledge on our side, we go with some basic rules trying to help us make good decisions. She said that the brain can process 11 million pieces of data each second. We're amazing computers that computers themselves can't even come close to reaching our capacity. Sure, we can come up with computers that can make certain numbers of decision, but the complexity of the thoughts that we can do are far beyond, at least for now, what a computer can do. That's why when you see computers play games of chess or try to come up with conversations, they're following a set of rules that were placed in for the computer, which human beings don't have. We are doing things on a completely different method when it comes to things. Of course, we have heuristics, which might be part of those rules, but we may sometimes decide to go against the common knowledge and just pick something else. We have that ability. Computers don't right now. And she said the bad side of heuristics, when we're making decisions in a bad way, will often have to do with biases we have. Maybe we tend to like things that are newer. I know I'm a tech person and I love new things. But is the future going to be better? Is it going to be worse? That might be our bias. Or do we trust things because a certain person said it and we trust them, maybe wrongly, to help us understand? She said there's something called the vetromedial prefrontal cortex, which helps us in certain decisions when it comes to our brain, mostly responding to threats and fight or flight. And we talked about that in previous podcasts about these chemicals that flow into our system, that flood us with cortisol, brings up our blood sugar, helps our immune system. And when we have that fight or flight decision, our body kicks into action. We're not a computer where we're just replying to a bunch of different values, but instead we have chemicals, electrical neuron firings that contribute to how we think about things. Then she said there's value-based decision-making. And those value decisions might be, what job are you going to pick? If someone tempts you with something that's probably too good to be true and goes against your core values, you might decide what you want to do. And then there's the habit-based decisions that she says originates in her basal ganglia, which kicks in when that orbital frontal cortex is inactive, meaning there's no value here. I don't have a value about whether or not I'm going to get this raisin brand versus that raisin brand, unless I have some thought about the company. One company is ethical and the other company is not ethical. Then maybe it would kick in. But if it's just a piece of pasta, a bottle of wine, we can make very quick decisions with that basal ganglia without having to decide on a bigger brain level. And then when it comes to decision-making, we may have a list of pros and cons if you've ever seen how I make decisions, I have a big pros and cons list. I go through them all the time and I try to decide everything. I was just recently trying to decide on a new pet and I had a spreadsheet. When I bought this house, I had a spreadsheet. I always try to do pros and cons in almost every big decision I make and down to where I have them in spreadsheets with scores associated with them. 
And that's because I'm a nerd and that's what I do. But that's the part of the brain that also makes that kind of decision. And so she said that in general, legal analysis is complex decision-making. It may make up any pieces and parts of all these decision-making pieces that are there. And in a court, they're going to trial. The judge's job is to sit there and make sure that everything runs according to plan, that the trial is running the way it's supposed to, that everyone is aware of their rights, that the lawyers themselves don't do any sort of unethical types of things. And the judge is there to just make sure everything is fair because of the fact that the lawyers do have such a great knowledge of how people make decisions beyond just being a good representation being a good officer in the court, trying to uphold the law. So this is the first part of the podcast where we talk a little bit about why the legal framework is such a good decision-making process and how lawyers take a knowledge of how we make decisions and turn them into valuable resources or methods to defend us in the law or methods of making contracts so that people have good ways of following the contracts with both companies. Next time, what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit more about this book and this framework that she has when it comes to lawyer thinking and how they actually take ideas, break them down into smaller chunks, and start working to come up with a good solution. So my challenge to you is sit down for just a couple of minutes and think about how you make decisions. Do you make decisions based on your noodle selections differently than how you make decisions about whether you're going to buy a house or a car? Or you're making decisions about something moral, something that is a bigger issue, maybe something like how you're going to vote or an action you're going to take when you're challenged on your moral level. What processes do you go into when you're trying to make decisions based on a variety of complexities? All right, everyone. Thanks so much. I appreciate you being out there. I just got back from camping and I'm feeling fresh and I hope that you enjoy this podcast. And I just set up the second podcast I'm doing called Small Steps with God. The trailer for the podcast is up. If you're interested in more topics when it comes to faith as compared to productivity, but still has the same pattern as this podcast where I talk about a book, another podcast, some other materials that are out there. So if you're interested in that topic, I'd appreciate you signing up for that other podcast, Small Steps with God. And as always... Please tell a friend, subscribe to the podcast, and let me know what you think. Thanks so much.